This is the day that the Lord has made. It is nice to see you all braving the elements to come on out this morning. It's a beautiful, sunny, gorgeous day somewhere. Um, but it's nice to have rain here in California. But at this time, I would like to invite you to stand as we join in our hymn of celebration, number 61, Come Thou Almighty King. standing, take a moment to say hello to those standing near you.
you, Melody Makers. Although we will not be sharing our regular time of joys and concerns, if you have one of those that you would like passed on to the pastors or the committee for prayer, please do so. You can hand it to the usher. I would like to point out to you the beautiful altar flowers. We have two of them today being shared. One is in celebration of the birthday of Kim Carnazola from her mother, Jerry McCray Isaac. Thank you for that. And the other is being shared in the celebration of a birthday as well for Jordan Surratt from her family. So for birthdays, we say together, we give you thanks, O Lord. Also, uh, two brief uh, other items. Um, keep Wade Berry in your prayers. Uh, he is awaiting uh, the results from a pathology report. Um, desired results, not positive results, but good results. You know how that goes, right? So keep Wade in your prayers. And also today at 2.30, there will be a memorial service uh, for the son of Shell and Charlene uh, Sundgren over in Alton Hall. So um, keep that family in your prayers. And for both of those we say together, hear our prayers, O Lord. Are there any new visitors with us today? Someone that's not been with us before? Wonderful. <laughs> Welcome. And thank you for coming out in the rain. It's an odd thing that we actually have rain. Um, but we'd like to celebrate the rain by giving you a, a welcome mug, and that you can fill up with a nice warm cup of coffee after service, and maybe hang around for a little bit, and give us a chance to say hello and welcome you in person. Thank you. Thank you. Also, uh, I'd like you to keep Gary and Tammy in your prayers. Uh, they uh, took off today and headed to Texas. They have landed. We have heard the eagle has landed, right? Uh, safe and sound, but they're there to celebrate. Uh, they're surprising his twin brother, Don, um, as they celebrate their both their 70th birthday. So it's quite a celebration in Texas. And Brian, I believe you'd like to give us an update. I just wanted to thank you all uh, for your prayers. Over this past week, I've received many emails and just uh, uh, questions about how Timothy's doing, how my family is doing. Uh, it's been a long two weeks. It started with a febrile seizure two weeks ago, um, turned into pneumonia for Timothy a week and a, just over a week ago. Uh, and yesterday we took him to the doctor. He has a clean bill of health. There's nothing, uh, which is a joy. My congestion, my, my sickness is hopefully completely over as of Tuesday. Christina had strep throat as of Monday on antibiotics as of Tuesday. Still sore, but um, not contagious, which is positive. And now as of last night, Julia has white spots on her throat. <laughs> so uh, we are done. I'm done. We're, we're looking forward to a vacation next Thursday. We will be leaving for a week. Um, sickness or not, we are go <laughs> we're going away. But we're, we're hoping to get perfectly healthy. But from the depths of my heart, I really do want to thank you all for your prayers for my family. Um, you know, it, it means the world to me, and to see Timothy be his little crazy self is, uh, is very special. So thank you from the depths of my heart. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you with our heads humbly bowed, with a heart open to receive that everlasting gift of love and grace that you bless us with. We give thanks for the opportunity to celebrate life, 
birthdays and anniversaries and milestones on this path that we travel. And along the way, we hit bumps and go through situations that we know we are never alone, that you are the great healer, the great comforter, and that you are always beside us. And so now, as we take but a brief moment out of this busy world to come silently before you, to sense your presence, to feel that love, and to know that you know our hearts and you know our needs. Thank you, Father. And now, as we pray that prayer that your son Jesus taught us to pray, even as we say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So, um, right now, <laughs> would the ushers please come forward for our gifts, tithes, and offerings?
Please accept, bless, and multiply these our gifts, tithes, and offerings for your work in this church, this community, and throughout the world. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Amen.
listen and receive a reading from the Word of God. Creating in us a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within us, according to your grace and mercy. May we affirm our faith with joy and a willing spirit as we hear the scripture from Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and all had things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, they spent much time together in the temple. They broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts. Praising God and having the goodwill of all the people, and day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. This is God's word to God's people. Thanks be unto God. Before I begin my sermon this morning, I do want to give a special thank you to Jeff Algene. Uh, he is on track to be ordained as a deacon in the United Methodist Church, uh, and I'm just uh, thankful, and it's a privilege to be able to serve together with him this morning. So thank you, Jeff. May we pray. Glorious God, we give you thanks for the reading of your word, for the opportunity to join together in community and fellowship, to be in your presence, to know that your spirit dwells in our hearts and in our lives here in this place. Gracious God, may we have ears to hear, a willingness to receive the word that is spoken that has touched the hearts and the lives of people throughout the centuries, that we respond to your word. God, be in our midst, that we bring glory to you in all things and in all ways. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. I have a friend who used to be a private event planner, a party planner, back east for the city of Boston. She worked for a private company, but did all of the big parties for the city of Boston. Her responsibilities included planning, overseeing, and executing several multi-million dollar events throughout the year. It was imperative that she did her job and that she did it well in order that the events go off without a hitch. <clears throat> but the unspoken expectation of her job was that when people left the event that year, that they would be so excited that they will have had such a good time, such a memorable experience, that they went away wanting to talk about it and wanting to share that event with everybody that they met so that the next year's same event would be even bigger, even better, more attended, and more would come. If any of you have ever planned a party, you can understand the pressure that my friend faced. Maybe you haven't uh, hosted a multi-million dollar event, but if you've planned a party, you know that you need to make sure that you've invited people that they come. You need to make sure the food is ready, the house is cleaned, all of those little details that you don't think about get taken care of before the event and doing that last minute dusting before people start showing up. And sometimes there's so much stress, there's so much buildup to a party that it takes you a day or two after the party just to be able to finally relax. That stress is finally gone, the last dish is put away, you're able to unwind. Julia and I had the, the joy and the blessing of hosting a birthday party yesterday. Christina turned 11 last Sunday, and we hosted a party of 11-year-olds. Thankfully, it didn't rain, so we were able to let them be outside. 
It doesn't matter the occasion. Parties take work and can be tiring. If you don't plan a, proper, a party properly, sometimes what happens is it's a dismal failure. I was joking around at the last service, and I, I shared this story with Julia just the other day. When I graduated high school, you know, in, in our family, when you graduate high school, you have a graduation party. I don't know if you all did, but you have a graduation party. So we planned a party for my graduation. So poorly was it planned, evidently, that nobody showed up, not even my immediate family. So... I joked around at the 8 o'clock. I said, I make a cake for myself every year for graduation just because. But yeah, not even my own family, not my siblings. My mom and dad were there. It was fun. What I've realized, though, <laughs> sorry. what I've realized about parties, though, it doesn't matter if you're planning a multi-million dollar soiree or if you're planning an intimate gathering with friends. There are similarities, I think, that ring true and that are important to remember anytime you have a party. First, you need to get the word out to get people to come. Second, you need to have a plan in place, something in mind that the, the party's going to be a success, that people are going to have a good time. And three, you want people to leave talking favorably about what they, what they had done because you want them to have a good time and they, you want them to share it with other people. Well, I think this was the type of dilemma that the early church was facing here in Acts chapter 2. You could say they were kind of planning a party of sorts. Acts 2 opens with the famous Pentecost. At Pentecost, an invitation had been given. At Pentecost, curious onlookers witnessed firsthand the moving of the Holy Spirit over a crowd of people in Jerusalem. And they saw the response of those who received the Spirit that day as they spoke in a multitude of tongues. It says that every tongue from every tribe and nation was heard that day in Jerusalem. And seeing all of those present and hearing the whispers of those in the crowd who were trying to figure out what was going on and saying, well, they're drunk or this is happening or that's happening, Peter began to speak up. Peter, the same person who denied Jesus three times, the same person who ran away from the Garden of Gethsemane and said, I will never leave you. Peter, here now in Jerusalem, begins to speak to the crowd and shares with them the good news and offers them an invitation to respond to his message, an invitation to repent and to be baptized. You know, through the working of the Holy Spirit, we learn right before this verse 42 in verse 41, the Bible says that 3,000 people received and responded to the message. They repented and were baptized, and the numbers grew. Thus began the early church. It moved from those who huddled in fear in the upper room upon Jesus' death now to numbers beginning to flourish as they shared the good news, as they invited people to receive the message that had been given. But the sudden growth in the early church created a big problem for the disciples. You know, it's easy when you have a room full of people and when you have Jesus in your midst kind of dictating things, it's not too hard. But now with all of these people standing before them, with all of these people responding to Peter's invitation, Standing there in their midst, the disciples needed to figure out what they were supposed to do from there. How were they going to build this community? How were they going to grow this faith as these people stood before them? 
Well, Party Planning 101 reminds us that because the invitation is given, you have to have a plan in place. You have to have something in store for, the, for people to have a good time. And it wasn't easy for the fledgling church, and there was no apparent order to the disciples. You know, they, they didn't have a plan in place. They, they had the teachings that Jesus had given them firsthand, and they realized that it was necessary to start to take those teachings, to start to take those things and build them into the church and give that as, a, as kind of a foundation for early believers on how to build their faith and how to build community. You see, I don't believe the disciples really cared about having a good time, but I do believe the, the desire was to see the new believers and those who already believed grow in their faith while building a faith community. And it brings these verses to us this morning. The party was just getting set up. Instructions were getting written out. They were being laid. That foundation was being laid for what it meant to be church. And not just one day a week on a Sunday morning, but seven days, 24 hours a day. And as a result, we learned that the disciples knew what was vital to the life of faith and vital to the early church as well as to the 21st century church because the things that they prescribed to the early believers are things that we today still remember and need to live out in our day-to-day -day life. And there were four things the disciples emphasized that applied not only to a new believer but to a seasoned veteran as well. These four things were vital for us to follow if we want to not only grow in our faith, but if we want to continue to be a strong community of faith, growing, inviting, and involving others outside of our community. You see, it starts off, the foundation for which the disciples shared were to encourage people, the believers, to devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. Without a firm foundation, you have nowhere to grow. You have nowhere to go forward in your face. So they wanted to make certain that people had a firm foundation. And their example came no, from nowhere else than Jesus. If you consider how much Jesus spoke and shared with the multitudes of people, how much he shared with the disciples in his inner core, much of the Gospels are written of Jesus' words to his people and to people in general. So it's not surprising that the disciples viewed teaching as an important part in the life of the church. You see, Jesus began his ministry right out of the wilderness, proclaiming the good news. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it says, the good news of Jesus was repent, turn away from sin, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. God was calling people to turn away from their lifestyle, to turn back to God, because God was there in their midst, and the King of kings and the Lord of lords had come. Peter, too, shared that message, and it was that message that started Pentecost. Because of that message, the Spirit came down, and people's lives were changed. The message was so simple to speak, but it's so challenging to live out in our lives. You know, people generally don't like to change. Gary always jokes around, the only person that likes to change is who? A baby with a wet diaper. You know, I, I, the longer I serve in ministry, the longer I, I'm able to, to serve as a pastor, I realized I don't think it's people don't like change. I think people like change when it's someone else changing, or people like change when it doesn't mean for yourself to necessarily have to change. Change is hard. 
That's why we use transform now. Change is hard. You know, because change usually means a complete reversal or a pretty complete reversal from the way that we presently live our life to something new and different. But that's what repentance is all about. For us, we have the ability to read scripture, 66 books of scripture, and know not only apostles' teaching, but to know the word of God and to hear the word of God spoken to the church even to this day. We have the written word and the living word, who is Jesus Christ our Lord, shared with God's people. And we say it every Sunday. This is God's word to God's people. Thanks be unto God. We acknowledge the foundation of our faith is scripture. Second, as we continue to daily devote ourselves to scripture and to reading and to studying and to building a foundation in our faith on scripture, we're called to fellowship. <clears throat> as Methodists, we have the, the, the uh, market cornered on fellowship, right? We know all about potluck suppers. We joke around how much Methodists like to eat. You know, we have our meals for Monday, but fellowship is so much more than simply eating together. Fellowship is a multi-layered process. It's a multi-layered component. Fellowship is about sharing of things, physical, emotional, spiritual, with one another, built upon an intimacy and relationship. See, in the early church, it said that they would sell their possessions to give to one another. The catchphrase in Christianity is we are to reach out to the least, the last, and the lost, and I wholly believe that. But we're also to reach out to the haves as much as the have-nots. We're to minister in every setting, in every situation, to build fellowship because we all have needs, whether we admit it or not, whether we realize it or not. There are needs within each of us that God desires to meet. And this is something I love about our church community is the love that we, that I witness at least, that, I, that we see the deep connections that are formed amongst people, both here in the church and beyond our walls. As I said earlier, I can't begin to describe or express the love that was shared for my family with Timothy being sick. It means the world to me. But you see, fellowship is also a fellowship of the Holy Spirit. It's the spirit that unites us to God and to one another in intimate relationship. It's the spirit in that intimate place <clears throat> that convicts and transforms our hearts, that turns us away from that which separates us from God and back to God. And when we're willing to receive the spirit, it's the spirit that reveals to our hearts the truth of Jesus' claims about himself throughout scripture. This past week, I, <clears throat> I serve on the Board of Ordained Ministry interviewing candidates for ordination. And one of the questions we ask is, what is, in your practice of ministry, what is your understanding of the Holy Spirit? And I always ask people from a biblical understanding, what's your understanding of the Spirit? You know, the Spirit moves as tongues of flames. The Spirit is the comforter, the provider, the paraclete. The list goes on and on and on. You see, it's this Holy Spirit that moves and works in us and through the Spirit draws our hearts and draws our lives back to God. That's fellowship. And fellowship is about participating in the body and blood of Christ when we partake in the cup and the bread. When we receive communion together, it's fellowship with one another before the Lord's table to celebrate God's grace. And this is the mystery of our faith that we celebrate at the communion table. And that leads into the third point that the disciples knew was vital, the breaking of bread, the ability to sit with one another. 
and to invest in one another's lives. You see, the breaking of bread is a twofold understanding. There's the literal breaking of the bread, sharing a meal together. You know, the early church would come together and, and would sit together, and it became an issue. You had the haves and the have-nots who would sit in different rooms and different, you know, it's kind of like the parents at the kids' table at Thanksgiving. You had two different rooms, two different tables. Well, the joy of the shared meal is that you bring people together to sit and to dialogue and to discuss and to spend time together. Growing up, we used to do fast food restaurants, and we would always do um, the, the television dinners, and you'd sit in front of TV, and you quickly eat as you run to your next event. And I know some of the parents who have kids can understand that completely, running from event to event to event. But see, now that I'm an adult with two kids, I've realized the joy of sitting at a table for dinner and having the dialogue and the discussion. You begin to invest in each other's lives and you hear about one another. That's what relationship and community is built around. But then there's also the breaking of the bread, sharing in the Lord's Supper, sharing in communion. There is something sacred and special about the sacrament of communion that through that we receive God's grace together, that we realize we never bear life's burdens alone, but we together in community come before God to see God move in mighty ways. And fourth, the disciples wanted to encourage people to pray. I love 1 Thessalonians 5.17. It says, pray without ceasing. Prayer is, un is unending. And prayer is vital to a life of faith. And it's not just simply, hey, God, I want this. Hey, God, I want that. And giving God a laundry list. Rather, prayer is <clears throat> an act of conversing with God, listening and speaking, receiving and sharing, turning the focus off of ourselves and back to God that we might have a heart for God for the things which God has a heart for. You see, Jesus set this example for us all the time throughout Scripture. When the pressures and the worries of the world happened, Jesus went to the mountain to pray. Jesus gave us the Lord's Prayer. Jesus prayed over the meals. Prayer was a vital component that Jesus could spend intimate alone time with his Father. Prayer carried Jesus through the temptations in the wilderness. Prayer is a vital component for our life individually but also corporately. And so we as individuals and as a, as a body of believers are called to practice these disciplines if we want to see our lives, our faith grow deeper, faith grow more solid, and if we as a community want to be transformed in order that we might invite people to the party and see our numbers grow. You see, Jesus, or we hear read in the book of Acts, the apostles' teachings were vital. By reading scripture, we learn of God's divine nature. We learn of God's deep, intimate love for his creation, for his people. And that love made perfect to the reality of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. As we join in fellowship, we allow ourselves to invest in the lives of others and to hear their stories and to hear their heart and know what makes people tick. Through the breaking of bread, we experience God's grace, which binds us together and share in that meal. It's a somber remembrance, but it's also a joyful celebration. And prayer allows us that conversation with God, that through prayer our hearts might be softened. You know, I think that by doing this, as we learn to live with this reality, live in these things, the result is that we as individuals and as a church learn to be transformed. And I believe 
based on action, based on all of Scripture, as we do these things and as our faith grows, we get more excited and we want to tell people and we want to invite them to the party. And it says that our numbers will be greatly multiplied. That people will want to come and see and people will want to join in and become a part of the celebration as we invite to the party. I believe that the Lord will add daily to our numbers. So today, as we come to communion, I want to encourage you, may the party begin. As we join together, we remember the night that Christ was with the disciples. When he took bread and he broke it, he gave thanks and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. When you receive this, do this in remembrance of me. And following supper, Jesus took the cup of wine, he raised it, he gave thanks, and he said, this is my blood which is shed for you. When you receive this, do this in remembrance of me. Glorious God, we give you thanks and praise as we come before you at this communion table that you prepare our hearts for the invitation that you have given to come to receive your grace that we might be transformed, that through these elements of bread and juice we might realize the mystery of our faith knowing that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Glorious God, receive our prayers, receive our hearts, receive our lives before you, for we truly say, here I am, use me. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. As the servers, as the ushers and the communion servers come forward this morning, I want to invite all of you following to come to the altar. The ushers will lead you forward. You don't need to be a member of our church. You don't need to be Methodist, for God's grace abounds, and this table is open to all. Following communion, uh, Jeff and I will be in the aisle to offer a blessing as you... Go back to your seats. May we join together in, in the hymn 641. Fill my cup, Lord. We will sing it two times through. God, we give you thanks and praise for the joy of this table together. 
We pray that you will continue to meet us here and be with us as we go forth this day to bring your light and your love to the world around us. May we bring glory to you in all things and all ways. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. I want to invite you to stand as we join together in our response number 666, Shalom to you. Uh, the words are in your bulletin. out and take the hands of those standing near you, give a little squeeze, let them know you're there, the joy that we get to go forth today as a community, continuing to hold one another's hands, to show love and support, to walk together in relationship and community. May we go forth now to be the light of Christ as we go in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen. Amen.